I'm going to echo the encouragement from Brother Corey earlier today. You sound great today. We didn't get to hear each other singing last week because of uh, weather and such, but grateful to be here today and grateful to hear your collective declarations to the Lord in song. Before we dive into get today, I, I do want to say there was a really strong possibility yesterday morning that we would not have heat in this room because we have an issue with our boiler. And so can I just thank publicly Alfred Martinez, who runs our facilities here at our church. I want to thank Pastor Wayne. I want to thank Brent Stanfield. I want to thank Fernando Carpena. I want to thank Judge Kincaid, some others who helped us uh, get the boiler to the point where it could work today so that we have heat uh, for the rest of the day and uh, very excited. We would have met anyway because, you know, Absolutely. It was going to be a little cold, but we could, we could wear blankets. It wasn't going to be as bad as it was earlier this week. But we're grateful nonetheless for the heat and for all of those who use their gifts and abilities to help make that happen today. You know, one of the things that I'm really grateful for to God is the way that his word speaks directly into our lives, the way that his, his word speaks in such a timely way into our lives. Every Sunday, when we sit before the word of God, there is a work that God wants to do in us through his word to help us be more like his son and to walk in greater intimacy with him as our God. And today is no exception. We mapped out this sermon series months ago, almost a year ago, and yet here we are today in a passage that so perfectly speaks to the past week that we have engaged in as the people of God, or at least helps us have a proper and right perspective as we consider it. It's been a crazy year, right? I mean, crazy week, right? In the midst of a crazy year. Many of us this past week have experienced difficulties that we never thought we would experience in our lives. We've been isolated, desperate, afraid, cold, wet, disillusioned, maybe worried about finances yet again, or food or water or the overreach of our government into our religious practice or even the failure of government to provide us with the needs that they are entrusted to provide for us. These are not situations we find ourselves in normally as Americans. And yet, because of covid the political season of last year, and now truly historic weather conditions, we've gotten a taste of the difficulty that many face every day around the world. If you think about the situation of many humans from a global perspective, there are people who live in the conditions that we experienced last week every day. And did you know that many of them do so directly because they are a follower of Christ? I was reminded of that this week as I was studying our text today. There are many people around the world who live in the conditions that we experienced this past week all the time. But many of those people live in those conditions as a direct result of their commitment to following Christ. It's stunning to realize that people suffer in worse ways than we've experienced this past week because they desire to follow Jesus. What, what we experienced this past week 
What we experienced this past year really has little to do or nothing to do with the fact that we follow Christ. It's just evidence of the fact that we live in a broken and fallen world. But there are brothers and sisters in Christ who every day suffer in greater ways for him. They are isolated. They are desperate. They are cold. They are wet. They are hungry. They are poor. They are imprisoned, threatened by their government, all because they follow Jesus. And as we'll see today, this is something that he warned us would and could take place. But here's the question I want us to wrestle with as the people of God after the week that we just had and after and in the midst of the year that we've been living in. If you had to live, if we had to live like we lived the past week in order to be faithful to Jesus, would we do it? If you had to live like you lived the past week, in order to remain faithful to Jesus, would you do it? If you had to live like you lived the past year, in order to be faithful to Jesus, would you do it? Would we say that it was worth it? You see, there's a cost to following Jesus. And we've been blessed here in this country to have that cost minimized because of the religious freedom that we do enjoy, at least compared to other people around the world. But there is always a cost. Jesus wants his apostles and his disciples, those who will follow him, to know that as they are being sent, it will not be easy. But also, that in the midst of that cost, there is also tremendous blessing to those who are faithful to those who persevere to the end. They will see that whatever they have lost is nothing compared to the eternal reward that awaits those who follow Jesus when he returns to take them home. Here's our main point today from Matthew chapter 10, verses 16 to 42. Being eternally approved by God is worth being temporarily rejected by men. Being eternally approved by God is worth temporarily being rejected by men. The cost here is worth the blessing that awaits. So let's see how Jesus teaches us this truth. Matthew 10, again, verses 16 to 42. We're just going to read 16 to 33 to begin our time together today. And here's what the word of God says. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues, and you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, you flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. 
A disciple is not above his teacher nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? So have no fear of them. For nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light. And what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father? But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. As the ministry of the disciples is being cultivated and, and Jesus is, is teaching them about what it means to follow Jesus. A transition takes place in this discourse. A transition takes place in terms of, of what it is that Jesus is teaching to his disciples. We're not just talking about the first round of ministry, specifically in the region of Galilee anymore. No, Jesus' uh, attention, his direction turns forward toward the future. He's moved about from talking about the immediate ministry that the disciples will undergo under his tutelage to what they will experience even when he leaves them. And we see this in two places, this, this new focus, this new teaching prospect for the disciples. In verse 18, we suddenly have the Gentiles now included in the ministry of the apostles. And then in verse 23, we see a, a specific future event referenced by Jesus when the Son of Man will come in judgment. There's some debate about what it is that Jesus is directly referencing there. Likely, he's referencing the judgment that will come upon the Jewish people in AD 70 when the temple will be destroyed. But that reference also has ramifications into the future ministry of the disciples even beyond that. Oftentimes this happens in prophetic works in the Bible where there's a, an immediate reference that has future ramifications for other events that will take place in the history of the church. Here's how John Piper talks about this particular verse, verse 23. Just like the New Testament speaks of the coming of the kingdom of God in several stages and manifestations, it also helps to think about the coming of the Son of Man in several stages and manifestations. He came to the earth the first time and died. He came as the risen Christ from the dead. He came in judgment and the destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70 by the Roman armies. He has come in power from time to time in great awakenings, and he will come in visible form at the end of the age. So it's important for us to understand that as we read this passage and as we think about all that Jesus is warning his disciples about of what awaits them, that what is true in the immediate future will also be true in the greater future until Christ returns. He's seemingly teaching his disciples that as their ministry expands in the future, so will the cost 
As their ministry expands, so will the cost. Look at what he says in verse 22. When you carry my name, you will be hated. But if you endure to the end, you will be saved. You're going to carry my name, not just in the region of Galilee, not just to the people of Israel, but to the ends of the earth. And you will be hated because of it. Because I was hated. But if you endure, you will be saved, blessed, and rewarded, and many along with you. From the beginning, Jesus wants his disciples, he wants these apostles to count the cost, but also to consider the blessings that await those who endure to the end. So I want us to consider this text from that perspective. Let's, let's look at all that it will cost us what it will cost these apostles and these disciples, but also those of us today who follow Jesus faithfully. Let's consider what it will cost us. And then let's consider the blessing that awaits us if we endure the cost. I want to say from the beginning, I'm, I'm really grateful to John Piper because he really helped me see this passage in enriching ways. And so I'm indebted to his study of this text as we begin to study it on our own. So, firstly... The cost of Jesus. I, I think there are at least seven costs, seven that Jesus directly mentions and references in our passage today that I want us to look at. Firstly, cost number one, there's the cost of bodily harm. We see that in verse 17. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and they will flog you, beat you with rods in their synagogues. It is possible that as you follow Jesus, you could be beaten and your body treated badly because of your commitment to Jesus Christ. The second cost we see in verse 18, there's the potential cost of government oppression. You'll be dragged before governors and kings for my sake in order to bear witness to them and to the Gentiles. If you follow Christ, and it threatens a particular government under which you are ministering the gospel, it's possible that you could be arrested, that you could experience incredible injustice by the hand of your own government authorities. A third cost, the cost of family rejection. We see that in verse 21. And, and this cost is almost too unbelievable to think. Brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child to death, and children rise up against their parents and have them put to death. Notice how the cost is, is increasing exponentially as we work through this list. You're not only going to be rejected by people you don't know, strangers who are threatened by your message. You're not only going to be threatened by the government that has been established to help secure you and provide peace upon the earth, you're going to be threatened by your own family. It's possible that your brother or sister could hate you so much because of the belief you have placed in Christ that they would want to see you die. It's possible. I don't know how. Beyond just demonic, evil influence that a father or a mother could be so angry with their children, they would rather see them die than embrace and push forward the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
And it's also possible that sons and daughters would hate their parents so much for the betrayal they think they have offered because of placing their faith in Christ that they would want to see them dead. What a stunning reality. It just, it just shows you the, the offense. It shows you the, the high cost that following Jesus could have in our lives. Fourthly, Jesus says, verse 22, the cost of societal hatred. You will be hated by all for my name's sake. There will be a general disdain societally and culturally toward the people of God that I think we could all say we're experiencing in greater ways even in our own time. There's the cost potentially, verse 23, of being removed from a town. It's possible you could not be welcomed in certain homes or even certain cities and run out because you are a self-professed follower of Christ. Number six, you could have your name slandered. Verse 25, it's enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they've called the master of the house Beelzebul, which is a reference to Satan, how much more will they malign the house of God? Is there any greater offense than calling the son of God Satan, the enemy of God? And Jesus says, listen, if they're going to call me names, they're probably going to call you names as well. They'll slander your name just like they slandered mine. Bearing the name of Jesus could have a cost on your own name. And then finally, cost number seven, verse 28, there's the potential cost of losing your life. The greatest sacrifice, perhaps, that we could offer. Don't fear, Jesus says, those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. But in reality, there are people who can kill your body. And they may want to do that because you follow Christ. Now, I want us to sit for a moment and consider this cost because it's so profound, it's so shocking that you could think that it's an exaggeration, right? That Jesus is doing one of those hyperbole moments where he, he says more than he really means, just get our attention. But I want us to be very aware here that this is not an exaggeration. That in the history of the church, from the book of Acts onward, all of these things have taken place. All of these things have taken place. I was thinking earlier this week about our study in Thessalonians. Some of you know that on Wednesday nights, say for this last Wednesday night, we've been studying the book of Thessalonians. And as we were preparing for the book of Thessalonians, we talked about the, the history found in Acts 16 and 17 that specifically predated the writing of the book of Thessalonians. And we looked at Paul's ministry experience in Philippians and, we, and in Philippi. And we looked at Paul's ministry experience in Thessalonica. And if you look at the book of Acts, You'll see a lot of these things that Jesus said would happen in the future actually taking place in the life of Paul. So in Acts 16, Paul and Silas are arrested by the government, even though he's a Roman citizen. They are beaten with rods. 
They are attacked by the crowd and the magistrates, and then they are put in prison, even though they did nothing wrong, in the inner prison, according to verse 24 of Acts 16, and fastened, having their fastened, uh, feet fastened in stocks. And the next chapter, once they're released from Philippi, they go to Thessalonica, and the Jewish leaders and the other leaders of Thessalonica are so concerned about the, the teaching. And the unrest that that teaching is causing in their area, that they run Paul out of town. And when he goes to Berea, they say, hey, Berea is too close. And they follow him from Thessalonica to Berea. And they run him out of town to Berea as well. Because they don't want him anywhere near their city with that message, that gospel message that he is proclaiming. That was true, obviously, in the whole of Paul's life. All the disciples, all the apostles experienced this kind of suffering. Stephen was stoned to death because he was committed to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And friends, not just in New Testament times. Even today, I was reading one of the commentaries this week that discusses Matthew chapter 10. And the author told a story about a man recently converted in a Muslim land and his wife, was so angry with him for converting to Christianity from Islam that she ground glass and put it in his food to kill him. And he died. And she was celebrated in her town. Celebrated for murdering her husband because he followed Jesus. Friends, this is not an exaggeration. There's a cost. And there are Millions of Christians who live upon the earth today and millions of Christians in the history of the world that have had to endure these costs. And Jesus says there's a purpose to it. There's a purpose to what's happening. There's a, there's a purpose for these costs in the lives of Christians. And he outlines that purpose in verses 34 to 39. Let's read that together. Do not think... That I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. Well, Jared, didn't that sound contradictory? Didn't he say, I've come, I'm the prince of peace? We're talking about the two different comings, right? His first coming was not to usher in the peace that will happen. His second coming, there's a different work happening right now. That will, of course, usher in peace in one way, but ultimate peace will be at his second. There's a different work happening right here. I've come to set man, verse 35, against his father and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Verse 37, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Well, what is Jesus saying here? There's a dividing happening. That's what that sword language is about. He's brought a sword to divide, to separate, a work of identification so that we know who is truly a part of the family and the people of God. You want to know, Jesus says, who, who truly are my disciples? You want to know who are actually a part of my people? It's the one who will endure. Those who will endure, who, who will see the cost and say it's worth it because they have 
had their eyes opened in faith to the reality of Jesus and his kingdom. The ones who endure are part of my true family. They are my brothers and sisters. They are my co-heirs in the kingdom. They are the ones who will be received into their heavenly reward. Jesus, yes, will one day bring peace, but only after he has brought judgment. And the work between then and now is a work of redemption in which God will form a new people of faith and perseverance for his glory. You can't have peace after all until you've dealt with the source of conflict. And for those who remain steadfast, those who endure, Jesus says, blessings await. There are blessings both here as we follow Christ and blessings in our future for the disciple who remains faithful. I see seven of these as well in our text. Not only seven costs, but seven blessings that await the disciple who remains faithful. Let's look at these seven blessings together again. Firstly, there's the blessing of being used in God's kingdom work. Look at verse 16. Behold, I am sending you out. Isn't it incredible that in the sovereign goodness of God, and his plan to reconcile all things to himself in Christ, that he has chosen to use broken, redeemed people to be bearers and declarers of the good news of Jesus Christ. It is a blessing to be able to serve our God in this way, to consider what he has freely given to us, And out of the love that he has shown us and born into us, go out and declare his glory among the nations. It is a privilege to have been rescued by this good news and then to be able to go out and proclaim it as well. We have the blessing of being used in God's kingdom work and to know that it is truly making a difference to push forward the kingdom of heaven against the kingdom of darkness. Secondly, there's a blessing of the empowerment of the Spirit. Verses 19 to 20 this is kind of the, one of the first times that we begin to see the, the promise of God's future empowerment upon his people for the work that he is calling them to. Don't be nervous. Don't be anxious about how you're to speak when they deliver you over or what you're going to say because it's going to be given to you. I'm going to be with you. God, Jesus says, when you're In those moments, when you're in those trials, when you're before these these earthly authorities, I want you to know there's a greater authority on your side. I'm with you. I'm giving you my spirit. And if you don't know what to say, I'm going to give you the words to say so that you will honor me, glorify me, and remain faithful. He's going to call you to this work, but he's going to equip and empower you for this work. And it's an amazing thing to be working and doing the ministry of the gospel and to experience a moment like this. To be out there and to to have ideas and thoughts that you have no business knowing or or words that you're speaking that you have no business speaking apart from the the Holy Spirit's work upon you in that moment. I don't know if you've ever experienced anything like that, but it's, it's overwhelming to step out in faith like that and then to see God's faithfulness and his spirit show up and your collective witness in difficult times. Thirdly, something even more profound here, we have the blessing of eternal salvation. 
This is mentioned over and over again. Verse 22 and then verse 28. You'll be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. From permanent, not just, listen, you may experience temporary wrath, the wrath of man. There's a limit to that wrath. But if you endure that for my sake, you're gonna be saved from a greater wrath an infinitely greater wrath as God pours out his judgment. You're gonna be saved, Jesus says. And then in verse 28, do not fear those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. These men may kill your body, they can't touch your soul. I can destroy both. And I'm saying that if you're a follower of me, I'm gonna save your life, eternal life. I'm gonna give you a new body and allow your your whole redeemed, glorified self to sit with me for all of eternity and to worship. Eternal salvation awaits those who endure. Number four, there's the blessing of being a part of Jesus's household. Now, I want you to think about the encouragement here in light of what we just talked about. Listen to these words, verse 25. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. And if they've called the master of the house, Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? Now, we've just talked about households being divided, right? That the place where you're supposed to be most secure and the place where you're supposed to experience unconditional love the most, that it's possible because of your faith in Christ that you would be rejected by that home that you would be rejected by your brothers and sisters, that you would be rejected by your parents, or that you would be rejected by your children. And Jesus is saying here, even if that happens, I want you to know that you are a part of a greater household with a greater father and a greater brother who will hold on to you for eternity where there's joy inescapable awaiting you. A household you will never be kicked out of because you are held tightly by me. What incredible promise that we're going to be part of the family of God. Those who endure. That's the fourth blessing. The fifth blessing. The blessing of knowing that God will ultimately reveal all things. Look at verse 26. Have no fear of them. For nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, verse 27, you say in the light, and what you hear whispered, you proclaim on the housetops. We know that one day all that is hidden will be revealed, where the blinding work of sin will be removed, and everyone will see Jesus for who he is, and they will see, their, they will see his people for who they are. They may... They may be blinded now. They may be disillusioned now, but there will be coming a day when Jesus will remove that and they will be judged for the way they treated not only Christ and his gospel, but also the people of God. There will come a day where injustice will be met with justice. What an important thing for us to remember today as we see injustice Everywhere, everywhere around the world. And we want to do what we can to alleviate injustice here. And there are things we can do, but 
we also have to remember that injustice will never be truly gone from this world until Christ fully reigns over all of it. And the promise here is this. There will come a day where that reality will be made real. Sixthly, we have the blessing of experiencing God's sovereign and providential care. We will get to experience God's faithfulness and his provision directly. I was thinking earlier about the story of Peter and Matthew chapter 14. We'll get to a little bit later where there's this, this incredible encounter. The disciples are in a boat and they see Jesus walking out to them on the water. Do you remember this? Jesus walking on water is a pretty big, pretty big deal. Do you remember what happens with Peter? He asks Jesus to allow him to walk on water as well. And for a moment, until he's overcome with fear, he gets to walk on water. And what a reminder for us that when we step out of the boat, when we get out of our comfort zone, when we actually trust in God to do through us more than we can do on our own, that we will get to experience him in ways that we never thought imaginable that we'll get to experience his sovereign care and his, his providence in ways that we never imagined because we put ourselves in position that require him to take care of us, that require him to do more than we can do on our own. So Jesus says to them in verses 29 to 31, Don't you remember that two sparrows are sold for a penny? Not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. Even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than sparrows. Whatever happens to you in your life is going to be father-filtered. Do you trust in the sovereign goodness of God to use you however he needs for his glory? And do you trust also that he will provide for you as you go out? We see that at the end of our passage, verses 40 to 42. Whoever receives you, receives me. And whoever receives me, receives him who sent me. The one who receives a prophet, because he is a prophet, will receive a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous person, because he is a righteous person, will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water, because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. What was true in the immediate Earlier in chapter 10, as Jesus sends out his disciples and he says, don't take anything with you, but trust that as you go, I've already provided through my people to take care of your needs will also be true through the end of the age. That we will experience the providence and the care of God in incredible ways, sometimes directly from him and sometimes through his people. But just know there is provision for you if you step out in faith. It may be scary, but you also may walk on water for a little bit. And then number seven, the blessing of being advocated for by Jesus to God. I want you to hear the promise of verse 32. Everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. Again, While we may be rejected by men, friends, if you are in Christ right at this moment, you are being advocated for 
by Jesus, our great high priest, before the throne of God today. He is actively sustaining you, your salvation and your faith before the Father right now. And he will do that throughout eternity if you are faithful till the end. What tremendous blessings that Jesus offers us to remind remind us that the cost is worth it. And let me just also say, remember, there's a cost to following to not following Jesus as well. I don't know if I can handle that cost. It seems like a lot. And some of these blessings are hard for me to wrap my mind around. I don't know that the cost is worth it. But remember, friends, there is a greater cost if you don't follow Jesus. Look at verse 33. Whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. And remember... Don't just fear those who can destroy the soul or the, the, the body. Fear him who can destroy both the soul and body in hell. Jesus says that for those who deny him, they will be denied on the day of judgment. And they will endure an eternity of cost that is almost beyond words to describe. For all of eternity. You will be isolated, desperate, impoverished, rejected. Not just for a moment, forever. I don't want that for any of you. We don't want that for anybody in this world, right? We want them to know the hope of Christ, the blessing of Christ, and the eternal salvation that awaits for us. But wouldn't you be willing to endure those things for a moment if it meant not having them for an eternity? The cost of following Christ, it's high. You need need to consider it. You gotta count it from the beginning. Don't let anybody tell you there's another version of Christianity other than the one that Jesus himself gave us. It's going to be difficult at times. And I'm afraid, even as the American church, as Corey mentioned earlier, it's going to be more difficult for us in the future. Will we endure? Will we say it's worth it? Will we rest in the blessing and the provision that God has given us in the face of difficulty? Because we want people to know the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. How should we respond today? Let me just challenge us in a few ways based upon the text. Firstly, let's follow Jesus. Let's follow Jesus. Let's be disciples of Jesus. There's a lot of paths in this life that you could choose. A lot of so-called prophets or wise teachers that you could choose. But I want you to hear me this morning. All of them will lead to a place of destruction. There's only one one way to God, and that is Jesus Christ. Let's be followers of Jesus. The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you can be saved. You can be a part of this people. You can be a part of this family. You can be a part of the work that God is doing around the world. 
And let's follow, secondly, Jesus in a costly way. Let's actually do this thing, right? Are we, are we tired of playing church? Are we tired of just giving our leftovers to the work of God? That's not the Christianity that God has called us to, guys. He's called us to, to follow him, to be advocates for him, to, to be ministers of this gospel. He has sent us. And yes, there will be difficulties, but it is worth it. If you're not experiencing any difficulty in your life, the question is, are you being faithful and being sent? Are you being faithful and, and talking about and representing the gospel? Are you being faithful and being salt and light and darkness? Of course the enemy's not going to come against you if he's not threatened by you. Of course there won't be any attacks on our church if he's not concerned about our church. The question is, will we remain faithful? And will we be obedient even with the knowledge that it could be costly? Let's follow Jesus in a costly way because we believe it's worth it. Thirdly, let's rest in the blessings of God as we follow Christ. Let me just read them for you one more time. If you are in Christ, you have the privilege of being used in God's kingdom work. If you are in Christ, you will be empowered by the Spirit. If you are in Christ, you have the promise of eternal salvation. If you are in Christ, you are a part of the household of Jesus. If you are in Christ, you have the promise that God will reveal all things and bring about ultimate justice. If you are in Christ, you will experience God's sovereign and providential care as you go out in faith. And if you are in Christ, you are being advocated for by Jesus Christ, our great high priest, even at this moment. I don't care what comes against us, friends. That is enormously comforting to sustain us, that all those things are true. All those things are a reality right now for the people of God. And finally, let's long for the eternal reward that awaits us. Do you believe that there is a future that awaits that is greater than what we are experiencing right now? And will you run this race with endurance the way that countless witnesses have before us in order to sit with God in Christ for all of eternity. We can endure a lot if we know there's an end, right? There is an end, perfectly designed. Jesus will take us home and we will be with him forever. It is worth it. Wherever you are, would you bow your heads? Spend some time thinking about how to respond to our text today. Do you know Jesus? Are you following him? If not, would you just commit your life to Christ today? If the Spirit is awakening something in you, allowing you to see Jesus, if he's, if he's making 
known what was unknown to you previously, if he's allowing the hidden to be seen by you, his power today, would you trust in faith and the salvation of Jesus? Follow him. He's going to lead you to God and eternal salvation. Secondly, are we following Jesus in a costly way? Again, if you had to endure what you endured the past week or the past year in order to follow Jesus and be faithful, would you do it? Would you say it's worth it? Because there are people, brothers and sisters around the world who are doing that very thing right now. And there have been brothers and sisters throughout the history of the world that have done that very thing. As a reminder to us all, The reward, the blessing, it's greater than the cost. What are you afraid of losing? What are you afraid of giving up for Jesus? Would you just surrender that today? Your reputation, your comfort? Would you be faithful to Jesus? Would you rest today in the blessings that God has promised us? to give you courage and comfort? And would you set your eyes on that day when Jesus will return and take us home forever? Don't you want as many people to come with you as possible? Father, would you help us know how to respond in faith today? Move amongst us, we pray, in the name of Jesus. Amen. You stand and let's respond in singing, church.